0: Uh, Psalm chapter 69, and we're not going to read the whole thing because it's a long one. We'll just read the first three verses uh, by way of introduction, and we'll get into it. To the chief musician upon Shoshanim, a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I'm come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. I want to preach to you from this psalm on the subject of waiting for God. Let's pray first and then uh, we'll get into it. Father, I love you this evening. I pray that you'd please help me. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I, I want to be your vessel. I want to be your man. Uh, I want you to use me. I don't want to have my own agenda. Uh, I don't ever want to get in a pulpit with an open Bible, Father. I, I know I I'm, over the years there's been guilty of it, but I don't ever want to get in the pulpit again with an open Bible and ever have a personal agenda about anything. I just want to give your people your words, and I pray, God, that you would please use this passage of Scripture, use this message, use this time here together to strengthen, to bless, to help, to encourage, and if necessary, to convict your people tonight. Uh, Give each and every person, Lord, you alone can see the heart, you alone can see the soul. Uh, I believe most everybody here, Lord, is born again tonight. But if somebody's not, I pray, God, you'd help them to realize they're in a friendly environment. Uh, They're at a place where they won't be pressured, but they sure enough have an opportunity to get some answers from the Word of God. And I pray you'd convict them and help them to realize their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, those of us that are saved, I pray you'd help us to draw closer to you, get the help we need from this tonight, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, now you'll notice in verses one through three, like we just read, that David's obviously in a really bad spot when he's writing this psalm. Notice in verse number one, he says, save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. David's in a spot where something is almost drowning him in a really, really negative situation. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. It should be a fairly rare thing where you get to this bad of a spot, but If you live long enough, you will be able to relate to this passage of Scripture sooner or later. Most all of you that have been around any length of time at all, you already can relate. David is literally feeling like he's drowning from the the pressure and the overwhelming pain of his circumstances. He says in verse number 2, I sink in deep mire where there's no standing. On top of the fact that his soul feels like it's drowning from the bad things he's going through, On top of that, he feels like he's stuck in the mud. Have you ever felt stuck in the mud? I mean, I remember when I was working in sales that they told us, they said, don't get stuck in the mud. And that was something that, you know, stuck out to me. It was very valuable in the business environment because you know, don't let your highs get too high, your lows get too low, you know, the economy turns bad, sales drop off, you got a family to feed, but the sales aren't coming in, and you can kind of get emotionally drugged down so much to where it almost becomes hard to even do your job, you just feel like, man, there's no way we're going to survive, there's no way the money's going to come in, I mean, it doesn't matter how much of a good, uh, good salesman I am, it's 2008, and we're in the middle of the Great Recession, and uh, here I am, I, I, I got to bring in business, and there's... Not a lot of business out there anymore, and there's people more experienced than me grabbing all the business, and people that have been doing this longer that have their relationships, and i got to try to get my name out there. It was just, it's just, you, you easily get stuck in the mud. And One of my managers said, don't get stuck in the mud. Man, that's a bad feeling. Now, take it out of the business sense. In the emotional sense, when you get stuck in the mud, that's a bad feeling to have. And honestly, a lot of people get that. It doesn't always necessarily even make sense, and I want to tell you it doesn't have to necessarily make sense. Sometimes you've got a personality where that's just things get to you. Uh, and when you live up north, I've told people this more, more than I care to, to repeat. When you live up north, it's a reality for people to start getting emotionally depressed. It gets dark early, sun rises late, it's cold out, you're stuck inside, it gets dreary. Especially when we go through months of no sunshine. That's just a practical reality of human emotions. Now you add on top of that the pains and the pressures and the issues and the struggles of life. And you can get to a point where you're feeling like you're overflowing with with depression and discouragement and problems. And on top of that, I'm sinking in these problems. It's not enough that I'm drowning in my soul. On top of that, I'm sinking in my problems. And I'm never going to get out of this mess. I'm feeling like there's no hope to move forward. That's exactly how David felt when the Holy Ghost of God said, I want you to write down in Psalm chapter number 69 exactly what you're going through, exactly what you're thinking, because there's some people a few thousand years from now that are going to need what it is you have to say about this thing, and they're going to need to learn about me in their situation, what you've learned about me in yours. I'm thankful for this Bible. He's sinking in the mire where there's no standing. He says, I'm coming to deep waters in verse 2, where the floods overflow me. So on top of the fact that he says it's just piling up in my soul, that's like an internal thing. He feels as though in the middle of that, when you you got something kind of piling up in you, what you want is something solid to get your feet on, so you feel like you can get going to get out of that situation, right? But he says, even though I got all this building up in me, I'm sinking in it. And I've got no power to move forward in this. And then he said, on top of all that, then it's coming in over my head. Literally, he is like trapped in a horrible situation. And then he says in verse number three, something that I kind of relate to. He says, I'm weary with my crying. He has been... Crying so much, and I, I don't necessarily relate to that. I'm, I'm not particularly a crybaby, I don't think. But I have, at times in my life, been so overwhelmed with stuff that I almost got sick of my own emotion. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever gotten to where you're just kind of like, I, I'm weary with my crying. I've, I've cried so much that I've exhausted myself. I've focused so much on this problem and I've been stuck in this thing for so long. And this issue, this problem, this heartbreak, this overwhelming thing, this thing that I'm sinking in just is not going away. And I'm just wore out with it. I'm wore out with the crying. My, my emotions have drugged me down so much that I am wore out with all of it. And I don't even really want to get better anymore. I'm just happy to wallow in my misery. He said, I'm weary with my crying. He's cried so much that his crying wore his body out physically and he's tired from crying. This is, a, this is a savage of a warrior. This is a guy that faced off and killed a lion and a bear on his own. This is a guy that faced off and cut off the head of Goliath. It's the guy the women sang about that said Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. This is the guy that when he is running from Saul to save his life, he's hiding out in the cave of Adullam, and he's trying to get away. Just wants to be left alone. Is trying to just stay safe. And all the deadbeats, the dregs of society, the guys in debt, distressed, and discontented, the roughnecks, the hardcore dudes, the experienced guys from life that society had rejected. Those guys gather to him and wind up in the cave with him. Sick. 600 men begin to gather around him and the roughest of the rough that wanted to follow this man's leadership. This is no sissified, effeminate, modern day male. This is an old school man that's on it, got it so bad on him that he's saying, I'm wore out with it and I don't even want to go on anymore. Amen. And my throat hurts from the, the, the crying and the exhaustion. He says, my throat is dried and mine eyes fail." David had it pretty bad. Look at the end of verse 3. While I wait for my God. <laughs> you know what you and I need to learn from this passage of Scripture and we're going to burn down through it. I'm not going to take you long. You know what we need to learn from this passage of Scripture? We need to learn that we got to wait on God. A lesson you can learn that you need to learn tonight is to wait on God. You know how Saul messed up? Saul messed up because Saul wouldn't wait on God. He was in a pressure cooker of a situation. There was an adversary against him. His own people were getting scared and starting to cut out. And he was realizing Samuel said he was supposed to be here. Samuel didn't show up on time. I got to offer a sacrifice. And he started feeling pressured in the situation to hurry up and do something. I'm telling you right now tonight, Christian, let me warn you. The devil will pressure you to move faster than God is moving. And that's how he'll get you. Even if it's a good thing. Something stuck, resonated with me and just stuck with me when Brother Peacock was here back in October. He said, you know, I can still see him. He was, I think he was walking right over on that side. I could still see him. He said, you never one time find Jesus Christ running anywhere in the Bible. That stuck with, I have thought about that. I probably have thought about that close to 100 times since he said it. I thought, that's a wild thing to think about. Because listen, there are some things I, I, I'll run to. I mean, I try to fancy myself the guy that will stay calm under pressure, and I try to think I, I, really, I, really, I really like that. I respect the guy that gets when it really gets on and the adrenaline's flying and everything's coming apart and it's a traumatic, crazy experience that can control himself and handle the situation. I got tremendous respect for that. I like that. That's why I like being around cops and firefighters and all the rest of that stuff because they've been proven under pressure. Vets, I like that. But I learned this. I've learned there are certain things. I've learned this in the last few months of my own life. There's certain things, when you get hit in the right spot at the right time, you'll panic over it. You'll start running to it. And the weird thing is, you never find Jesus Christ ever running anywhere. Lazarus is dead four days, and Jesus comes sauntering into town. Like, no big deal. It's all under control. is that wild? You know what you're going to feel like? You're going to feel like you've got to hurry up and move, and you'll run right into a trap of the devil, because Jesus Christ is never in a hurry. I'm sorry to preach Bible to you. I know it's disappointing because so much of us, so many of us, for so many years of our life, we're always taught to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Do, 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 go, 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 work, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. And I'm telling you, that's not in the Bible anywhere. We need to learn to wait on God. Number one, we need to learn to wait on God when our enemies are overwhelming us. Look at verse four. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel, because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me and I'm the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. You'll notice in that Passage that we, they, we just read, David is, is seemingly overwhelmed by his enemies. In verse number 4, it's because they hate him without a cause. You realize that if you stand for Jesus Christ, some people are going to hate you without a cause. If you do right, I'm telling you, if you do right, you will be mocked, you will be made fun of, you will be ostracized. That is part of doing right. It, it, you could just mark it down. It's going to happen. You have to learn to wait on God and to let God handle situations for you because if you don't wait on God, if you try to fix the situation, you're going to wind up making a mistake God didn't want you to make. You realize some of those people that are mocking you are not necessarily, they're enemies of God right now, but they're not necessarily going to stay that. It is hard to let somebody come after you with false accusations and get at you and try to attack you and just be kind to them anyways. Be a genuine Christian in spite of the fact that they're coming after you and they won't stop. You know some of you kids will want to do in school when they ostracize you for trying to do right. They make fun of you for trying, you're going to want to reciprocate. But you want to know something? You got to stop and think about something. 30 years from now, some of them people might wind up working for you. God might put some of you in the ministry, and 30 years from now, they might walk into your church and call you pastor or call you pastor's wife. You better be careful how you react and respond to people you got to wait on God when your enemies are coming after you. And you have to understand that God sees everything that's going on. Even if they're falsely accusing you, just take it. Be glad they're not telling the truth. Amen? Let me say that another way. When people lie about me, it makes me feel good. Because in verse number 5, you see what he said? God, you know my fault. <laughs> hey, when people are lying about me, that's great. It's when they tell the truth that bothers me. You understand what I'm saying now? Let them lie about you. Wait on God and allow God to work on your enemies. You know why they falsely accuse you? They falsely accuse you because they're under conviction. They know they shouldn't be telling the jokes they're telling and doing the things that they're doing and living the way they're living and taking the Lord's name in vain and cursing and disrespecting authority and all the rest of the stuff that goes on in this society. They already know it. They know when they're doing those drugs that it's wrong. They know when they're getting drunk they ought not be doing it. They know when they're fornicating, when they're committing adultery and all the rest of the things that's going on. They know it's wrong and the conviction of watching you live right makes them come after you. They find something to point at about you and falsely accuse you because of justifies and appeases their own conscience and when you lash back out at them you appease their conscience more you got to wait on God when your enemies come after you they falsely accuse you because of envy you realize a lot of times people envy a good Christian Now, now listen you all know this already you know me well I don't think we're better than anybody else But I will tell you this much, if you got God in the Bible and you're trying to run your life the way Jesus Christ would have you to do it and live according to the Bible, you got it better. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not better, but you sure enough got it a whole lot better than that lost world's got it. And they're envious of what you got. So your enemies will come after you. They'll come after you when they got a competitive spirit like we talked about Sunday morning. They'll come after you when they got a critical spirit. You know some people just have a critical spirit. It, it, it does not matter what you do. If you were everything the exact opposite of what you are, they would still rip on you. You know when somebody's always finding fault with everybody else, always criticizing everybody else, Going home and talking in the car on the way home, what we're talking about is this person at church and that person at church. And Oh my goodness, I, I, even have, I even know of preachers that have had that problem. Being critical of their church. That's a horrible problem to have. When you're always criticizing everybody else and picking apart everybody else and noticing everything about everybody else's family. and You, you have the problem. You got a critical spirit. Not, it's not the other person's problem. When somebody begins to pick on you and criticize you and pick you apart and nitpick your life, listen, that's an enemy. That thing can really begin to bother you with time. Be, be honest. Yeah. It doesn't matter if the person's uglier than you and all the other things that you could say that are insulting. Okay? I'm trying to be nice. You notice I'm really trying. I'm throttling myself tonight. It's a Wednesday night. We're supposed to chill out a little bit. It really doesn't matter. Even though you're like, well, I know that they're making fun of me because they're a weirdo. Right? It still bothers you. Critical spirit. You ever been criticized? (laughs) I have. I've been criticized just enough to where I don't want to be that guy anymore. I said, I don't want to be that guy anymore. Because guess what? We all struggle with it. You know what I've noticed about me? I criticize other people because of my own insecurities. It gets really quiet sometimes when I preach. Isn't that weird? You know what you gotta do when people are picking you apart? You gotta leave it to God. You gotta wait on God. Because if you start messing with it, you're gonna wind up messing up God's plan. You're gonna just wind up just like Him. That's what you're gonna do. The person you hate the most, you're gonna become. Enemies overwhelm you because they falsely accuse you. They, they overwhelm you because they hatefully accuse you. Look at verse 6. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God a host be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. You know what he's saying? God, there's some people that hate me. And I don't want them to get a, an advantage on me because of my reproach. That's in verse number 5. God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Look at verse 7. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. They falsely accuse you and hatefully accuse you because of the approach that's associated with serving Jesus Christ. There's a reproach associated with it. It's a funny thing, man. I cannot tell you how many people that have met me know me as nothing but Mike. And then they say, so what do you do for work? And I say, I'm a pastor. And they go, what? What? I'm a pastor. I I always want to, like, one of these days I'm going to have the guts to do it. I'm going to say, I'm a pastor. Boom! (laughs) Because it really gets like that, like, oh. Just saying I'm a pastor all of a sudden automatically associates me in their mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And guess what he is? He's a reproach to this world. They don't love your Savior. Because of his reproach. Look at verse number 8. They'll hatefully accuse you because of your changes. I've become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's, son, mother's children. How many of you have had that happen to you? Man, you get saved and all of a sudden now you don't. Well, you can't come on Sunday. You'll come on Saturday. No problem. Why can't we do Saturday? All of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I'll come, but I, they're going to be drinking because I don't do that anymore. And it's like, well, I like you Before. Oh, you liked me before when I was a complete train wreck, huh? You liked me before when I was an absolute mess. You liked me before when I wasn't a good mother, I wasn't a good father. You liked me before when I wasn't a very good son. You liked me before when you had to come bail me out of jail. You liked me before, but now you don't. I don't understand that. I'm trying to get your grandchildren in church on Sunday and I'm going to get grief over that. I mean, are you kidding me? Even if you don't agree with me, even if you don't like my position, why in the world do you got to make it an issue that I want to be in church? How is that a bad thing? But they'll hate you for it. They'll hate you because of where you're at right now tonight. Look at verse 9. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. You know, if you serve Jesus Christ, the reproach that Jesus Christ had is coming to you. You know why I think we don't get more reproach? Because I don't think we're really serving the Lord like we ought to be. I think if we we're a little more vocal about Jesus Christ, a little more vocal about being a witness, a little bit more vocal about why we don't. No, I'm not coming and I'm not coming because there's drinking. And I, God saved me out of that stuff and I'm not going back to it. We're a little more vocal about it. We get a little bit more of a reproach, but I think we got way too many secret service Christians, you know, undercover Christians going on. You know what you got? You got in verse number nine. He says, "The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up." Man, you ought to love coming to church. <laughs> we ought to. We ought to desire to be here. I. I, I don't ever want to start pressuring people to come, and I, I don't want that to start even around you. I mean, among the church. Well, how come you don't come back on Sunday night? Are you just jealous because you want to stay home? So since you're miserable, you think everybody else should suffer with you. Honestly, no, really, that's the spirit that I've kind of picked up on sometimes. Well, how come they don't come back Sunday night? Like, it's really that difficult, huh? I think some Christians criticize other Christians for that very reason. I come because I want to come. I'm here because I want to be here. It's amazing to me how over the years God has very slowly but strongly and surely grown our midweek attendance and grown our Sunday evening attendance. You should have seen what it was like for at least, what, 10 years, honey, or more? From Sunday morning to Sunday night, Wednesday night. The drop-off in attendance. But you know, we've always had a good time. Because the ones that came here, they wanted to come. One of the greatest compliments I keep getting from people when they first come to our church, like, "Man, there's a good spirit here, like yeah, because there's no pressure. if you don't want to come back, I mean i it's gonna break my heart, okay, I'm not being a jerk, but but if you don't want to come back, don't come back no nobody did anybody arrest you and force you to come tonight? You came on your own, and you're eighteen years old. That's why we're all happy. Because we're excited about being here. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. I want to be in church. I love God's people. I love the Bible. I love Jesus Christ. I love singing. I've anchored my soul in the haven of us. I'll sail the wide seas. No, I want to be here. And that makes you a weirdo. Some of you are going to have trouble with family and friends because you're going to be here on Sunday morning and it's Christmas. It's Christmas and you're going to church? You're such a fanatic. It's Jesus' birthday. We're going for a celebration. There's cake after. You want to come? He said, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. I I, you can't keep me away from church anymore. I don't care if I get offended. I don't care who Criticizes me. I don't care who might be envious toward me. I don't care what kind of issues what kind of hurts They've been we've all been hurt build a bridge and get over it. Hey, I want to be here because the lord shows up I'm not going back to church because you know those christians But they go right back to walmart Well, hi welcome to walmart like, excuse me, excuse me, and they look right at you, and they run the worker runs the other way, you know. <laughs> Stinking hate Home Depot for that very reason. Excuse me, he's gone. Never mind, forget it. Hey, ma'am, excuse me, this isn't my department, you know. Like, but you go right back in next time. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. You know, that makes you a weirdo to your enemies, though. You guys went to church last night? How's your weekend? Great. How was yours? Oh, man, we had a riot. We got smashed. We got hammered. Oh, man, I still got a headache. How was yours? Oh, man, we had a riot. We got no headaches. We slept great, and we went to church on Sunday. You're weird. Your enemies will come after you. But you know what you got to do? Listen, listen now. You got to wait on God. Don't get mad at Him. Don't go back after Him. Don't turn your Christmas celebration... Take your stand. But don't turn it into a war with your family. Even if they hate your preacher, just smile and let it go. Don't even bother defending me. Hey Amen. A little bit of that's happened here and there. Let it go. Why? Because you've got to wait on God. Some of those people that are messing with you, that are causing you grief, might wind up sitting next to you someday... If you wait on God and let him do his work and keep your hands off it, David suffered. David suffered strong, man, and he learned to wait on God, and he saw God do some great things for him. They'll they'll torture you because you care about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verses 10 through 13. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. So when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, they mocked me for it. Are you praying again? Pray over your meals. You guys pray at work when you don't don't shake your head yes or no. I'm not asking for a response. When you're at work and you're sitting around everybody else, do you stop and pray over your food? Man, I love it, man. It's, it's, a, it's an absolute riot. You ever sit down to lunch with some lost people, and, you, and they know you're a pastor, and you just do like this right over the, right over the plate, you know, and just kind of like, and you're done for a little while, but you can just feel it, you know, and so it's like kind of awkward, and you can feel them all kind of like. <laughs> then you just started, you know, I was looking at my food, and I just started eating. I was like, what were you saying? <laughs> you know, I love it. Yeah, they, they think you're weird. If you care about your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, people will hate you for that. You notice notice how often they take the Lord Jesus Christ's name in vain? You ever pray about an opportunity to respond to that? You ever just stop and say, hey, do you you ever think about why you don't say Muhammad instead of Jesus Christ? How come nobody says Muhammad? How come nobody says Buddha? Oh, my Buddha. How How come nobody does that? You know, I never thought of that. Because the Bible says, the lesser shall swear by the greater. Everybody around the world takes Jesus Christ's name in vain and they say, oh my God, when they want to curse. Because what they're doing is they're testifying in their spirit and in their soul without knowing they're doing it. That there's a God and they're using Him as a cuss word and they're using Him as something to express a deep feeling in their soul while they won't seek Him for salvation or find out what He has to say about where they're going when they die, but they want to use Him when they get... Yeah, and you're going to stand before the Lord at every idle word that a man shall speak. You shall give a count thereof in the day of judgment. Now, you don't have to say it so preachy, but you can kind of take some of that and use it. But boy, when you love Jesus Christ, they think you're a weirdo. You know, you're in a day and age now or even saved people think you're a weirdo? Other Christians think you're a weirdo if you read your Bible every day. Think you're a weirdo if you go to come to church and you answer an altar call. You come down here and pray at the end of the service. Think you're a weirdo if you shout amen in church. Think you're a weirdo if you tell your kids, No, we can't go to a sports event on a Wednesday night or a Sunday because we're going to be in church. Even saved people think you lost it. Our enemies will overwhelm us. We need to wait on God. Here's a real good one. Our faults will oppress us. Look at verse 5. He says, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. You know, when you really care, and you're really trying to serve God, and you mess up, that'll haunt you. And I'll say this, you ought to feel some conviction if you really love God and you messed up. It ought to bother you. But once you've gotten it to the Lord, you better get the guilt monkey off your back. Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't get the guilt monkey off your back, the devil will use that guilt to choke you out of serving Jesus Christ. And the problem is, a lot of times the brethren won't let you forget it either. They become part of the enemies that overwhelm you. You always got that, well, we know you. You know, I, just, I detest that. Excuse me for speaking in the flesh for a second, but I absolutely detest it. Like Paul said, so speak I not the Lord. I'm going to say it carefully and measured because I'm speaking in my heart right now. I run into somebody like, oh, I've known you since you were a kid. Hey, I'm going to say it right, friend. <laughs> I haven't seen you in 20 years. I haven't seen you in 30 years. I'm 45 years old now. Oh, and oh, we—I've known you since you were a kid. Oh, I know you. I know your family. You you don't. You don't. What are you talking about? Right. Man, I absolutely detest that. Not letting somebody get over something that was years and years and years ago, or assuming that you know them now because you knew them back then. Something's wrong with the individual that always thinks that way or always brings that up. When you get around people that always want to bring up your past, something's wrong with that person. You understand what I'm saying? That person's the issue. You can let it roll off your back like water off a duck's back, yawn, walk away, go home and sleep like a baby because that person's got the issue, not you. That stuff drives me up an absolute wall. But you know what you want to know why it drives me crazy? Because my own faults. My own failures, they bother me. They bother me bad. I beat myself up worse than most anybody else could ever beat me up. The devil uses that stuff to overwhelm you and to make the, them people become part of the enemy instead of what they ought to be. Your own faults will oppress you. And the problem with that is this. Look at verse 14. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me. Neither let me swallow up. Neither let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. You see all that? You know what that? You know what all that is in the Bible? The, the floods of waters and the pit and all the rest of that stuff. The deep mire. You know what all that stuff is? That's the judgment of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's turn there quickly, please. Hebrews chapter number 12. I want you to see the patience, the waiting on God in this passage. Hebrews chapter number 12. I want you to start with me in verse number 1. Now, I'm going to try to move fast. So what I want you to be watching out for as we go through this is the fact that there's a patience and a waiting on God required in what we're going to look at. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. see it, and the sin—that's you and me. Uh, that, that is, you know, obviously this is to the Hebrews, but the practical application is you and me. We—we've got weights on us, and we got sin in our life, right? Come on, Christian, you're perfect. <laughs> Your faults overflowed you, and every once in a while, you know, you know what, God, God, you know my faults, and now I'm in trouble. I'm in the judgment. I'm getting judged by God. I'm sorry, I just don't give a cotton pick and hoot for a Christian that thinks they never thinks they're being judged. When something bad happens to me, the first thing I do is say, God, you got my attention. What have I not been listening to? When I stub my toe, I'm like, okay, Lord, are we good? Okay, we're good. I mean, the first thing I ask is, what did I do wrong? Because I know what I am. Hey, I, I want to be right with God, and I hate it when I mess up, and I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Ain't no stinking self-righteous Christians, man. I mean, they think they are, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? They're so awful self-righteous, but ain't no such. You ain't ain't got any righteousness. Anything you got, you got by a gift from Jesus Christ. If you got it at all, you got it from Jesus Christ. So our Father sees our weight in sin, and notice it says it does so easily beset us. And then he says, let us run with patience the race set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. See that? That's the reproach. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured. See that? That's that's a waiting thing. Such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son." Watch it now. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. You gotta keep pressing. You gotta keep running. The context is running. The context is running with weight and sin that we gotta lay aside, but don't quit. And he's saying, because of this because of the sin, which you gotta stop, when God whoops you for it, don't get exhausted in it. Keep pressing forward. Don't quit. Wait on God, even though God's putting a whooping on you. For whom the Lord loveth, verse 6, he chasteneth. And scourgeth, that's even worse, every son whom he receiveth. God's God's love is whooping on you. I'm thankful God doesn't let me get away with much. Because the more I get away with, the worse I get. That's a parenting tip, just in case you missed it. The more I get away with, the worse I get. Verse 7, if ye endure, see it? There's patience in it. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof we all are partakers, see it? That's why I said I don't, I don't care for a Christian that never thinks they're being judged. It's always somebody else being judged, it's never them. Yeah, no, God whoops me. You understand? And the more I mess up, the more he whoops me. So how often do you get whooped? As often as I mess up, because he's a good father. He's really consistent. Then are ye, whereof we all are partakers? Then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection of the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward... It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see that there's patience involved in that? Can you see that? Can you see it's a process of God dealing with you? And Him saying, listen, don't get wore out in the process. Go back to Psalm 69. We'll stop there. Back to Psalm 69. Don't get wore out in the process because what He's trying to explain is, listen, God's going to bring out the other side of that thing something really, really good. The peaceable fruits of righteousness are coming in your life. If you're not saved, God doesn't necessarily discipline you like that. Right. God deals with his children that way. And if you're not a born again Christian, I mean, a, a date and a time in your life when you got saved, and you know, that was the day I got saved. I saw what the Bible said about heaven, about hell, about me, about Jesus, and I did what the Bible had to say that day and that time. Born again. It was a day and a time. Really? I got asked it today. Date of birth. No, I wasn't buying alcohol. Date of birth. 11, 12, 77. It was a day and a time when I was born. Salvation's the same way. It's not an over and over again thing. It's not a, well, I think I was. Well, I've always been a Christian. Well, I was born in a Christian home. I was a Christian since I was a kid. There's no such stinking thing. <laughs> so, so if you're not born again, then this don't apply to you. But if you're saved, God sure enough deals with you. He sure enough whoops you. And your own faults, they'll oppress you. Now look at verse number 17. Hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. See that? And I'm full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat. Now you know who we're talking about. And my thirst, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Skip down with me for the sake of time to verse number 26. Watch this. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten. And they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. You know what happens when the judgment of God's on you and your own faults are oppressing you? Your enemies enjoy watching the judgment. Did you hear what I said? Your enemies... Love watching God put a whooping on you. Can I say this? That hurts, right? How many of you have gone through some bad times? Do not raise your hands. How many of you have gone through some bad times and the first thing that happens when something goes wrong in your life is you think of so-and-so. And And you're like, oh, I don't want them to find out because they're going to be overjoyed. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Because there's people watching, waiting to see your failure, waiting to see your destruction, and anything that bad happens in your life, they're oh, God's getting you. Because they got a vendetta against you because of something personal. Ain't that terrible? Isn't that a horrible feeling? Now, wait a minute. How often have you been that person? Looking at somebody else's life and saying, uh-huh, that's God getting them. Oh, why? Because they offended you? I mean, you're so, you're so much a part of the Trinity. You know, you're the fourth person of the Trinity. You're so holy and so important that when somebody does you wrong, God's going to go get them on your behalf. You realize what a completely insane, arrogant, self-filled viewpoint that is? But come on now. we If you've been in a church any length of time and read your Bible at all know anything about the judgment of God, <laughs> you all got the same problem I got. You look at me all like, but that ain't the truth. You know what I don't ever want to do? I mean never not not one more time as long as I live. I can't wait to die and go to heaven or get raptured out of here because I'll never have to deal with any of this ever again. I don't ever again want to be caught rubbing in the wound when God's whooping somebody, rubbing it in the wound If God, if God is dealing with one of his kids, the last thing I want to do is walk up and go, oh, look, he's down. Because of what you did to me. Because of my envy. Because of my jealousy. Because of my competitive spirit. Because of my hurt feelings. Because of my bitterness. Do you know some people purposely hurt other people because they were hurt? Did you hear what I said? That's insanity, man. That is a psychopathic mentality. I'm going to go hurt an innocent person because that was done to me, so I'm going to do it to you. You need the blood of Jesus Christ to help you out of that pit if you're that messed up. What's going on here is David saying, God, my enemies are watching. You work on me and you deal with me. And God, I need your help because not only am I really sorry and I'm sick of this, but God, I can't stand watching them rejoice in what I'm going through. Boy, when you ever get in that situation, you better be careful. Because in spite of the fact that you have enemies watching you and your enemies have overwhelmed you, and your problems are overwhelming you, in spite of all that stuff, God is the one who's working on you. That's the issue. Nothing and nobody else is the issue. God is dealing with his child. Can I say it's nobody else's business? I got four. Four kids? If I correct my kid or deal with my kid or talk to my kid, I don't want to hear what you have to say about it. This is terrible. This is, please just brace yourself, okay? I could care less what you think. That's my kid. Oh, well, she's a brat. Well, okay. So, if that's true or not true, ain't none of your business. It's my kid. And if I correct her, I don't need somebody going, yeah, he's right. No, no be quiet, unless you're the mother, right? Come on, parents, you can, you can amend me on this one. This is all right. This isn't a trick question. That's your kid. Don't you realize that we all got the same father? When he is dealing with his kid, you think he wants your help? I don't think so. I think if I'm dealing with my kid and somebody walks up and sticks their nose in it, they might get a nose broke, you know what I'm saying? because I'm dealing with that. I don't need you adding insult to injury. None of your business. Back off. I know how much to put on there and how much not to. Now you leave it alone. Well that's, that's how I want to be with God. When God's children are hurting, I want to be the same place for them to go and get some help. I don't want to be caught being this guy. One last thing I want you to see, and I'll make it quick. You've got to wait on God when your enemies overwhelm you. You've got to wait on God when your faults oppress you. And others like seeing it. You've got to wait on God when your Father isn't promoting you as fast as you want Him to. In verse number 21, you see it. They, all, they gave me also gall for my meat, and thirst. They gave me for, uh, the, and, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which, uh, that which should have been their, for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not Make their loins continually shake Pour out thine indignation upon them And let thy wrathful anger take hold of them Let their habitation be desolate And let none dwell in their tents For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten See that? They talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded Add iniquity unto their iniquity And let them not come into thy righteousness Let them be blotted out of the book of the living And not be written with the righteous But I am poor and sorrowful let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall so please the Lord better than an ox that hath horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. Now here's what I see in that. He's going through here, and he's, he's, he's in the middle of his problems still, right? His problems aren't gone yet. And he's saying, God, deal with them. God let their table become a snare before them and, and, and that which hath been for their welfare and become a trap. And How many times do you see that? I mean, man, we don't have time. You look at all the gangsters and all the rest of that stuff going on throughout history, all the politicians that get crooked and all the rest of that stuff, their, their welfare becomes a trap. You kids looking up to some of these social media stars. You, you ever watch and see how many of these social media... TikTok stars and all the rest of them wind up dead young? Right. You ever watch that? You ever follow these people? Because I'm old enough now to have followed some people that back when I was a kid where my peers are a little bit ahead of me, just enough ahead of me to look up to and see their massive meteoric rise to fame and wealth and riches and then watch their life and see how they turn out later or watch them crash? Yeah. Their table becomes a snare, becomes a trap. Their welfare comes back and gets them. You better learn to wait on God not rush it in life. And that even is God settling your scores because he went down through here and he's praying imprecatory prayers against his enemy which is something they did in the Old Testament that you and I don't do now. And he's praying these imprecatory prayers against his enemies and he's saying, listen God, I I need you to do this thing. And God's like, no answer yet. Here's how, here's how I'm telling you there's no answer yet. Look at verse 29, but I'm poor and sorrowful. See what he said? God has not yet answered his prayer. You see that? I'm poor and I'm full of sorrow. Now watch. When you're in that position, God's not answering. God hasn't come in and given you what you want. He hasn't pulled you out of your problem. He hasn't yet fixed it. He hasn't yet answered all the prayers. You know what you do? You wait on him. Look what he does in verse 29. He says, let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. Verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. He's not even waiting for God to do it. He's already making a promise and an oath and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to magnify you. I'm going to sing to you and I'm going to thank you. Now that's pretty precious in the eyes of God. When while you're still in your problem and God still hasn't answered your prayer and you're still stuck in the mud and you're still overrun just a little bit and you still got even things you're beating yourself up about. You say, you know what, God, I'm making up my mind right now that if you never bless me again, I'm going to sing to you, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to thank you. Now, I realize that he's asking God to bring him out of it, and he's saying, when you bring me out of it, I'll do that. But he's making up his mind in the moment he's going to serve God. Look at verse number, uh, verse number 31. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hooves. You know what pleases God? Is when you wait on Him, when you thank Him and you praise Him and you sing to Him and you exalt Him and you glorify Him and you say, come hell or high water, I'm serving the Lord. I'm not in this thing because he's been good to me, or because he's got money and he can hook me up. And you know, I'm looking for a hookup from God. And when God saves me out of my situation, then I'm off on my own again. When I want to, I'm serving Him. When I don't want to, I'm serving Him. When it's good, I'm serving Him. When it's bad, I'm serving Him. When He blesses me, I'm serving Him. When He doesn't, I'm serving Him. When He promotes me, I'm serving Him. When He doesn't, I'm serving Him. And in the middle of this problem, when God still hasn't answered and still hasn't pulled me out of this thing, I just want Him to know that I want to praise His name. I just want Him to know I want to think to Him, sing to Him. I just want Him to know I'm really thankful to him for being my God Amen. you ought to thank God every day of your life for saving your soul hey and for taking care of your eternity Amen. Yes. no matter what well, I don't got nothing to be thankful for you don't now now what's hidden in here is really important for you to notice in verses 7 through 9 and verses 13 through 16 and in verses 20 through 28 you know what you've got you got messianic verses. That's the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Now we preach to this whole thing about your life. But what we don't, what we fail to remember is you're hid with Christ in God. He said, follow me, take up your cross and follow me. He said, if they persecute me, me, they're going to persecute you, right? Mike Reagan version. Ain't that the truth? You're supposed to go without the camp bearing His reproach, right? Oh, so you mean my problems are more than just being all about me? You said you wanted to serve Jesus Christ, didn't you? You know what God the Father did? God the Father put the sin of the whole world upon His Son. God judged Him. It pleased God to bruise Him. The Bible says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That was Jesus Christ. You know why God allows you to go through times when you're crying and you're all alone in your room? When, you're, when your heart is overwhelmed and you're stuck and you don't feel like you can get out of it and then people are picking on you and it feels like the world turns against you, whether it's real or perceived, it still is what it feels like it is? I don't have any friends. Whether real or perceived, that's how it feels sometimes. I said whether real or perceived because a lot of times it's not real, it's perceived. But that's because you're stuck in the mud. That's because you're overwhelmed. And when God ain't promoting you and you're stuck and you're not moving forward and you really want to move forward and God ain't moving you forward, you know what you get an opportunity to do? You get an opportunity to feel what it felt like to be in the Lord Jesus Christ's shoes. Ain't it a wild thing that he said, thou wilt not suffer my soul to stay in hell? Three days and three nights, God waited that long to resurrect his son. Jesus learned to wait on His Father. You know what Christians don't ever want to do? They don't want to wait. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. Give it to me now. Give it, to me now. Give it now, now, now. Yeah, And that's why we got such a shallow Christianity going on all over this nation and world today. But if you're really going to follow Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to learn to wait on God. And if you wait on God, look at the conclusion. You will not, you will not be disappointed. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moveth therein, for God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah that they may dwell therein and have it in possession. The seed also of his servants shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. You know what that is, right? That's your millennial kingdom. He's coming one day, He's going to rule and reign on this earth and He's going to fix every problem there is in this entire planet from creation to the animals to the human beings, it's all going to be perfect. And you got that promise. So that ought to help hold you over while you're here. But let me just say this, I, I want to say this, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I think I'm right. I don't just believe that you're, you have to wait till you get to heaven to see it. I don't believe that. I think you'll see it in this life too. I heard a preacher told, told it to me like this. He said, Mike, you will not walk into the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and look at your Savior and say, you owe me. Right. He said, it ain't going to happen. Because God's so good, He takes care of His people. And if you stay close to Him and you wait on Him and you're trying to serve Him and you put Him first and you seek Him and you sing to Him and you thank Him and you praise Him and you stay faithful to God, I am promising you, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you're sowing the right things, you're going to reap the right things. And not just at the judgment, you reap them in this life too. All right, let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads. We'll be dismissed in the